Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery, be it with addictive cravings, depression and anxiety, or improving sleep. Founded and run by a father-son team, both in recovery, this issue is personal for them. Learn more at exactnature.com, and as a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive a 20% discount at purchase. Again, TSD20 at exactnature.com. Happy Sober Day, friends. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic seven years from my last drink. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who lived them. Check us out at thesobrietydiaries.com for all things podcast related. And for all our video interviews, head over to youtube.com slash Nate Kelly. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. We have another powerful story today, and I'm so grateful to have connected with today's guest. Her name is Shireen Menard, and we have perhaps not the most in common from the outside, and if you are judging a book by its cover, but we relate to several aspects of our recovery journey with one another, and I wanted to touch base on a few of those here at the open of the episode. Shireen and I both had a tendency to isolate in active addiction and to really separate ourselves from the outside world. And even while people were inviting us to things and doing their best to include us, and at least in my case, that was something that I thought that I wanted And even though people were willing to do that and putting themselves out there and inviting me to things, (laughs) I really worked so hard to avoid that and to shut myself off from any possibility of interaction, really. And for me, that was for several reasons. I think toward the end of of my drinking career, it was simply the fact that physically to consume alcohol, to not be sick, to not be miserable, to not actually start detoxing from alcohol. So there was the, the physicality. And then also just the anxiety of human interaction and lack of confidence that I had created within my mind and the lack of confidence that really existed for a long time, even after getting sober until I was willing to, again, put myself out there and be in uncomfortable situations to uh, sort of build those reps back up and to be comfortable again in social settings and interacting with people. 
I can find myself going backward and in the other direction so quickly that I need to make it a conscious effort on the regular to accept invitations to things, to make plans to go to dinner, and to not cancel on them. Because the first time that I do, when I say no to a couple of things, I get in this rhythm and in this sort of seclusion that I know about myself. So I regularly need to exercise that muscle, exercise that social muscle. Another thing that Shireen and I share in common is the love and support of our network or our family and friends and giving us that gentle nudge that we needed to seek treatment. And you will hear today in Shireen's story how perfectly her husband introduced the idea of Alcoholics Anonymous. Really, he presented it as an idea, as an option to her. There was no forceful conversation. There was no ultimatum. He really did it in a great way. So very excited to share that story with you today. Shireen overall is so well-spoken and conveys her message and her story so beautifully. So let's open the diary on Shireen Menard. I am here with my new friend, Shireen Menard. Shireen, how are you today, my friend? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for making time on a Sunday and agreeing to help us in spreading the message and sharing your story. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. What made you start to recover out loud or share your story publicly? Well, let's see. When I finally decided to get serious about sobriety, um, I had a moment in my closet where I just crumbled to my knees. And honestly, I just begged God to take the desire away from me. Um, I mean, I had tried to get sober so many times, but this time I feel like I truly meant it. And, um, I feel like I was being led to just uh, share recovery out loud, whereas in the past, I was very secretive about it. And I think I was secretive about it because it was easier in case I messed up, you know, right. not, so this time I decided, all right, if I'm going to get serious about it, I need to just put it out there. So I just decided to put it out there. That's where that accountability comes from, right? When you can't yes, hide yeah. if you trip or fall and put ourselves out there. But if we do, others can hold us accountable. We can sort of surround ourselves with that community and others. Uh, so that's how, that's how we have to do it, right? Exactly. Well, I usually like to start with asking, when was your last drink or drug? And why was it that day in particular? Okay, so my sobriety date is 9-11-2019. So my last drink was on 9-10, and that is actually my wedding anniversary mm. is on September 10th. Um, so I've been married 32 years. That was my 29th wedding anniversary. And my husband and I and our daughter and uh, my mother-in-law, father-in-law went out to dinner. And again, like every other time I went out with my family, 
I had little shooters in my purse. I was secretly drinking in my closet, uh, drinking, you know, in the bathroom. I would have to go to the bathroom over and over. Basically, I decided to just get shit-faced kind of on my anniversary again and disappoint my husband. And when I went to bed that night, um, I was just sick and tired of doing the same thing I was doing every single day. And when I woke up that morning, I just decided that was the morning I was done. I didn't want to do it anymore. It takes getting to that point sometimes. Had you tried any sobriety in the past? Oh, yeah. A day? Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying for probably probably about seven years prior to that. I'd been trying off and on. We talked a little bit about putting it out there and um, having others help us to be accountable. But what other things had you tried up until that point? Or what sort of processes had you um, tried to get sober in the past? So up to that point, um, I'd been going to AA off and on. Uh, like I said, for six or seven years, um, I'd been going to a program called Celebrate Recovery through my church. Um, they have different groups for, you know, things you suffer from, hurts, habits, hangups, depression, anxiety, pretty much anything you can think of. Mm. And so um, I'd been going for quite a few years. I would get 30 days, 60 days, that kind of thing. Um, I almost got a year one time. And um those are the things I had been trying to do leading up to this point. Um, but again, I just don't think I was truly serious or ready like I was this particular day. What was your husband's reaction typically if you had started to gather these lengths of time up to a year at one point and would slip or come home drunk one day and, and start the journey all over again? disappointment. I mean, he would always tell me, you know, good job, you're doing it kind of thing. But I never really felt like he truly meant it. And I think that was because he knew I was going to screw up because I always did. At least that's how I felt. I felt like, sure, I'd get 30 days and then something would trigger me and I would always go back to it. And then he would find my secret stash or see that I was drunk and I just, I couldn't hide it from him. And then he would know and he would be disappointed in me. So I just, I feel like he he knew that I was never serious, serious, serious enough to actually quit. I also try not to be cocky because, you know, I know it's easy to just go right back to it. I have many friends that have succeeded in long-term sobriety and have gone back to it. So I try not to get too cocky and look at me, I'm doing it type of thing because I mean, we both know it's it's pretty easy just to give into it. Good. Yeah. For me, I have to keep that humility about me and stay humble. You know, I, I was lucky enough to get sobriety the first time that I tried. And I know that that's not typically, you know, that's that's not the, the typical story, but I need to stay humble and realize that, that I'm blessed and lucky for that to have happened to me. So exactly. I, I love the humility, love to see it. I've always been jealous of people like you that could get it on the first try. <laughs> like, yeah. how? How do you do that? I wish I could have done that. But truly, I mean, truly it's a different miracle. for everybody. It's yeah. a different story for everybody. And I get that finally. Truly is. Everyone has their own journey. We all find our bottom. We all find our road to 
this beautiful life, right? Exactly. So if you're okay with it, I'd like to invite you to maybe go back a little further and, and discuss anything that you think perhaps contributed to your sense of wanting to escape or what um, perhaps prompted drinking or contributed to your addiction in your mind? Okay, sure. So for me, my my struggle started honestly back as, as far back as I can remember. Um, I can remember at the age of three and four, uh, sneaking drinks from my mom or not even sneaking it, her just letting me try it. Um, I don't know how I felt about it back then, but I can remember, I can remember the tingly feeling. Um, eventually I was taken from my mom at the age of five and put into foster care, um, into my new home with foster care. My foster dad was an alcoholic, so there was always, um, alcohol around and my brothers and I would, you know, steal the alcohol, go in the backyard, feeling different when I drank it, feeling good. Um, not caring what others thought of me. And that progressed into my teenage years. Um, I started sneaking out of the house, uh, going to parties, that type of thing, like a lot of kids do. Um, It wasn't really a major problem at that point. It was more of just a fun thing to do. Um, I had gotten adopted by then from my family, my uh, foster family. And, um, the sneaking out at the age of 13, 14, eventually resulted in, um, I was raped at the age of 14 at a party and drinking was involved in drugs. Um, drugs were never a huge thing for me. I, I tried a few here and there, uh, but alcohol was definitely my, my first drug of choice. Um, after that happened at the age of 14, I met my husband. And uh, we ended up getting married at the age of 16 and 18. Uh, We've been married 32 years. I quit drinking when uh, Rick and I got together. And it didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel the need to escape anything at that point. I found this person that meant so much to me. um, And we started our life together. Um, I didn't start drinking until about the age of 25 after I had my first son. We had already been married about eight years by then, and uh, my husband is definitely a normie, not someone that drinks at all. <laughs> Can take it or leave so, it. Never oh, understood yeah. he them. Could, he could take it or leave it, and you know I never understood that. So those first eight years of marriage, um, I I didn't drink. I didn't feel the need. But after my son was born, uh, I started hanging out with you know some friends and some family members that did drink, and it just slowly started from there. Um, just, you know, a weekend thing, nothing major, just to have fun. And um, about 14 years ago, we moved from Oregon to Arizona. My son was 12. Again, my alcoholism was not in full effect yet. I, I didn't have a severe problem with it yet. I would drink just kind of periodically. But when we moved to Arizona, Um, I didn't have any friends here. I worked remotely from home and really didn't have, um, I guess the, not the escape, but I didn't have places to go or people to hang out with anymore. Yeah. So I started isolating at home a lot. Yeah. 
So that yeah. can, I, I did, I had a similar experience toward the end of my drinking career as well. And it, for me, was like idle time physically and idle time mentally as well. So I was like not exercising my brain and like talking to people, interacting with people, not yeah. really leaving the house and simply just like drinking at home 24 seven. Exactly. That's exactly what I started doing. So my husband worked outside of the home and I worked, you know, on a computer eight hours a day. So I was at my home. It was easy. It was easy to sneak it. Right. Um, you know, we didn't have the Zoom stuff back then. We weren't doing calls. It was just me on the computer all day long. So while my son was at school, my husband was at work, I would sneak and start drinking and isolate. Um, eventually, my husband started getting involved in, um, in church programs. Uh, we're very involved in our church today. But back then, he would get involved. And he'd invite me to things. And I just... I wanted to stay home and isolate. I wanted to stay home and drink because that was easier. Right. Then I had um, the surprise pregnancy of my daughter. So by then my son was 12 and we found out I was pregnant. We weren't planning for another one. So it was a big surprise. Um, after I had her about 13 years ago, that's when I started drinking daily. One of the biggest hurdles in starting a podcast can be the overwhelming thought of all of the technology. Let me tell you, don't let it stop you, especially in the beautiful online recovery space. We could really save lives. So if you have a message that you want to share and a story that you want to tell, the Podcast Host Academy can help you get there. Inside the Podcast Host Academy, you'll find courses on everything from equipment, software and editing, to presentation skills and vocal warm-ups. Click the link in today's show notes for an additional 15% off your subscription to the Podcast Host Academy and alitu.com. That is alitu, A-L-I-T-U dot com. Pretty much all the trauma from my childhood, I never truly dealt with. I've never dealt with that until now, honestly. And so that with uh, mixed with having a child, I was, what, 36 by the time I had my daughter, um, postpartum depression. I just started drinking every day. It was it was easier than dealing with anything, than participating in life and participating with what, what my husband was doing. Right. Now the alcohol for you, did it just numb out the <clears throat> sadness? It just numbed. It didn't, yeah. it definitely did not help anything. It didn't help my depression. It made it worse. It just made me want to isolate more. I didn't want to make friends. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to do my job and then just drink all, all evening into the night, let my family go to bed. And then I would stay up and drink. And this started to be a daily thing for me every single day. So with a almost teenage boy and a newborn girl, how, how did you do that? Or I guess, what were the first signs that it was affecting your ability to be a mother that you remember? Um, well, I was definitely a very functional alcoholic. Um, I still did everything I was supposed to do as far as work, uh, activities with my son, with my newborn. Um, 
I usually did not start drinking until the middle of the day or the evening, you know, when I knew my husband was going to be home and could handle things in case I couldn't kind of thing. Um, until around, I believe it was 2014, um, my health started declining and I didn't know why other than yes, I was drinking, but my health, as far as my heart, I started having heart issues. And, uh, one day I, my heart, I basically went into AFib and I didn't know what that was. My husband took me to the emergency room. Um, within the month I ended up having an open heart surgery. Oh my. And, uh, yeah. So this was uh, very sudden. Um, I was never honest with the doctors telling them how much I drank, you know, when you fill out that form, right? Oh, sure. I have a few drinks a week. Two yeah. to three a week. Yeah. <laughs> two to three a week. Always two to three a week. More like bottles a day. A day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And my husband would look at me when I was filling out this paperwork and be like, um, are you going to tell them the truth? And I'm like, Let's be uh, truthful yeah. with the doctors. I did the yeah. same thing though. I had Never. a stroke at the age of 32 and did the same thing. Never. Yeah. And they never brought up alcohol to your point. If I was functioning, which I wasn't, but yeah. um, physically at least other than the stroke. And I laid in that bed for a month, but just dreamed of my first drink after I left the hospital. And that's what I did. That's so funny you say that because that's exactly what happened to me after that first open heart surgery. Um, that's when I started to attempt recovery. I started to attempt to stop drinking. Once I was home and in recovery from my heart surgery, um, I would have a little bit of success, 30 days, that type of thing. But I always went back to it. I always, that obsession was just there. Um, a year and a half after my, my uh, open heart surgery, I ended up having a stroke as well. Um, I was 39, had a stroke, and had an, a second open heart surgery. Wow. So yeah, by the time I was 39, um, two open heart surgeries and a stroke, and I'm still denying that alcohol has anything to do with it. You know, it's that uh, craziness that goes on in our mind. The denial we live denial. with is fatal, really. It right? is fatal. I mean, I'm surprised. I thank God I'm here because really I shouldn't be here after two open heart surgeries and a stroke and just the damage I was doing to my body. Oh. But um, after that, that was 2016 when I had the stroke and the second open heart. Um, started to get what I thought was a little more serious about recovery. I started going to um, the program my husband told me about. He would um, print out these meetings for AA and kind of just leave them around where I could find it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so not trying to like push me, but trying to nicely, hey, hun, how about you go try this meeting out? Like, suggestion. Yeah, suggestions. I'm like, I'm not into that. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm fine. I got this all under control. Well, then one day he brings me home an AA big book. And I thought, number one, where did you get this? He said, well, I've been going to Al-Anon meetings. I'm like, why? Who do you know that's an alcoholic? I mean, talk about denial. Oh, my gosh. I I thought that was crazy. I'm like, why are you doing that? I don't have a problem. I'm fine. He just left it there, left it, didn't say anything else. 
I eventually opened that book, started reading a little bit. That's when he printed out uh, the recovery meetings, told me about those. And I just decided to go one day, which was not like me because, again, I like to isolate. Yeah. Didn't want to make friends. I didn't want to meet people. I certainly didn't want to tell anyone that I had a problem. I mean, I wouldn't even admit it to my husband or to myself. But something just pulled me to go that day. And I went and I sat there and I just listened. I didn't say anything. I listened to all these people who basically were telling my story. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, this is crazy. How these people are like me. I mean, just they look like normal people, but they're all telling my story. And I continued to go. And I don't think I opened my mouth at a meeting for probably six months before I even spoke a word at a meeting. Same. Yeah, I had yeah. to. I had to make sure I was. I had done all the listening I could do, and yeah. then I would. And then I would start just with like a one sentence here and there, and eventually you get comfortable enough and right. feel at home enough, right, to to open up and share everything. Exactly. That was hard. I mean, even when they would ask me, you know, do you want to read this paper at the beginning of the meeting? I always said no. And then one day I said, okay, I'll yeah. go ahead and give it a shot. So I read like, you know, whatever it was that they wanted me to read. And then when it was time to go around, I remember it stopped at me and I said my name. Hi, my name is Shereen, but I had never said, and I'm an alcoholic. And I said it that day. Mm. And as soon as I heard those words come out of my mouth, I cried the whole rest of the meeting, didn't speak, didn't say anything else, went home and I'm like, oh, I guess, okay, I am an alcoholic. Maybe I need to keep doing this. And that's when I started getting a little bit of sobriety, 30, 60, you know, whatever. But I always went back to it, always. God bless your husband for starting to go to Al-Anon, introducing it in just the perfect way. Wow. I love that story. Yeah. He was beyond patient with me. I mean, I've told him, man, I would have, I would have divorced you a long time ago. I don't know why you put up with that, but it's amazing what love and what God can do in your life. Um, After attending AA quite a bit, I decided to check out the CR meetings he kept telling me about, because that was something him and my daughter were going to. She would go to the childcare and he would go so he even, I always tell him, you even got my daughter to start getting me to go. He's like, no, no, no. I didn't tell her to say that because she would say, mom, why don't you go to CR with us tonight? And like, nah, because that was my opportunity to stay home and drink. Right, right. But I decided to go one time again, just like AA, I went I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Just go be quiet, not say anything to anybody, not talk while well, they had an addictive behaviors group. So I decided to go to that group and I saw women in there that I see at church like every Sunday, Mm -hmm. like, wow, these women have a problem just like me. That's when I started to finally, finally open up. It wasn't an AA. I still would go to AA religiously, but I didn't start opening up until I went to the CR meetings and I saw that there was women there that I thought were just normal people that didn't have an alcohol problem. Yeah. Wow. Then I started sharing finally. So are there opportunities to sort of mentor or give back within the CR community? Oh yeah. So, so now 
with three years sobriety under my belt. Um, I go to CR weekly. I help lead studies. I lead step studies, which is just basically, it's the 12 steps of recovery, just like AA, but it's biblically based. So it's Christ-centered, but it's basically the same thing. It's just, you know, we, our higher power is God. I mean, your higher power can be whatever you want it to be. For me, for the longest time, it was nothing until I started going to CR. And so I do that weekly. Um, I now share my story with other people. I started a blog. Amazing. Where can people find your blog? It's called confessionsofaclosetdrinker.com. I love it. Very <laughs> That's appropriate. Where I, I hid my alcohol in my closet all the time. I mean, in shoe boxes, in clothes, in purses, anywhere I could. And my husband would always find it. So what I did when I finally decided to get serious is I eventually cleared out my closet and I turned it into a prayer closet. Oh, and I now that. I have a little area in there with all my little books and my little chair candle, you know, where I can go in and just sit and pray, read my books, do whatever. So I've turned it into something positive. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. We'll link the um, blog site in today's show notes. Tell us maybe a few tangible things or takeaways for our listeners that could be in early recovery or maybe are similar to you in the fact that they can get 60 days, 90 days, one year, but seem to start over. Let's talk about some takeaways or tangibles. I think um, for me, it was staying connected. Even though, like I said, I was an isolator. Yeah. I still tried to stay connected as much as an isolated person can, um, whether that was just by reading my AA book or I'd go to those meetings. Um, reaching out to people is huge for me. I never did that in the beginning. I wasn't going to reach out to anybody because I didn't have a problem. Yeah. Part of keeping that in, right? And hidden yeah, exactly. from everyone else. Exactly. But just attending those few things I did attend, other people started to reach out to me. Mm. So I started to be a little more open to those people reaching out to me. So I think I would tell others to, number one, try to be open, uh, try to stay connected, of course. Um, just you got to find what works for you. For me in the beginning, I wasn't sure what was going to work for me, but I, I was open enough to make that step to, you know, go step into the rooms. So even though, you know, I wanted to stay home and isolate, I allowed myself enough space in my heart, my mind to think, just go try it. I mean, what do I have to lose? If I don't like it, I'm just going to go home and drink. Who cares? Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Shireen, what are some of your favorite positives that have happened in your life in the last three years? Oh, my gosh. Having trust. From my husband. I was I was going to say your house sitting for somebody else. That was right. one of the biggest things for me was my brother and sister in law trusting me again to house sit. So when oh you gosh. told me that that you were house sitting for someone, I was like, Wow. Three years ago, there's no way I would have done this. I would not have done this. So I think um having the trust from my husband, my daughter, who now looks up to me, um, she knows that 
she can call me at 11 o'clock at night and I can pick her up because I'm not drinking. Whereas before it was, you know, there was no way having people trust me with their pets and their home. That's my, my part-time job is dog sitting. This is the job that I actually love. Love it. And, um, you know, just finally being trusted is huge. I mean, I trust myself finally. That's the biggest one, isn't it? Yeah. Trust. Number one for me. Shireen, thank you so much for your time today. Awesome story of recovery, trust, relationships. I think we hit on everything. So thanks so much for sharing today. I absolutely love your show. I listen to (laughs) you often. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, We will uh, link everything in today's show notes, like I said, so you can find Shireen's blog and a little more. Thank you so much for listening today, friends. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check today's show notes for all the information discussed in the episode and how to connect with our guest. And as always, check us out at thesobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, and on Instagram at the Sobriety Diaries Pod. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show, friends. It truly helps other people to find the show. And in turn, we can help more people. Until next Wednesday, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, everyone.